One explanation for the left's win has been this sort of collapse of liberal neutrality. They've lost faith in the idea that you can have a sort of neutral public square. And I felt that a venture firm in particular is very well suited to the articulation of a positive vision. New founding is exceptionally well positioned to offer that. Now, there's the other more immediate need, build alternative businesses. If people are being economically ostracized from society, if they're being censored and debanked, we can support alternative businesses that provide services to them that won't censor them. Welcome to the Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. You can support us at thefatherstate.tv slash donate. And we're also on locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work there. Thank you in advance. I do appreciate it. Very interesting guest today, Nate Fisher. And Nate is the founder and CEO of New Founding a venture firm focused on the American right. And I, have, I don't know anything about this, so I'm looking forward to this discussion. <clears throat> Nate, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, Nate, what motivated you to start a, a venture firm company? So my background is business. I've always been... I've always been interested in politics. Uh, I'll give you a little background, and that sort of gets to the the loop that comes back to where I am. But uh, I was interested in politics. I was interested in business. I was interested in technology. And the first plan was politics. And in college, I did a program in D.C., and I became convinced that D.C. was the sort of place where Mitt Romney-type careerists would climb their way to the top, and any non-consensus idea gets you pushed to the side. And just in my mind, immediately unappealing. And so I just abandoned it. I figured I'm going to become an investor. And investing, uh, you have a non-consensus idea. You're correct. You can make a lot of money. Rewards nice. that. And uh, so I just, I uh, I switched gears, decided on a career in investing, went to law school as a path there. I uh, did that, did some big real estate investments in the wake of the financial crisis. Uh, business was good. Investing was good. But I uh, started sort of after after the the market matured there, started thinking about what I sort of drawn back to the political questions. And it was during the Trump era that I realized my old uh, my old thesis about politics was wrong. Now, uh, you had Trump uh, bringing his dissident ideas in and sort of pushing the Mitt Romneys to the side. And so politics was now a place where an outside the box idea could drive change. And it was at the same time that you saw the big Silicon Valley companies, the Facebooks of the world, the Ubers of the world, they're really growing rapidly. There's a lot of excitement around them. And I realized all of them have a very political mission. Uh, you look at Facebook's mission is to make the world a more open and connected place. Its mission is old mission. Right. That is a straight up, that is not some more widgets. That's not even Microsoft's put a computer on every desk. That is, we're going to transform the world around a particular vision that's going to, in, in their case, really bring globalism and, and, and try to connect people in a particular way. And that's, that's a, a different vision. And so I, I saw that and realized that's that's all one side being represented in Silicon Valley. These people are building the future. Yeah. They are literally building the platforms that are going to shape the digital world, that are going to govern the digital world. And they're doing it from one perspective. And so at the same time as politics is becoming an exciting place, 
you have this massive opportunity in technology and the right conservatives, Christians, whatever are unrepresented there. And so I, I saw that as a major opportunity. You have this massive number of people, obviously, who want something on the right, and you have almost no one serving them. And so that led me through a number of sort of iterations and thinking about things to uh, to move to Dallas, to start to sort of settle on venture. I see venture as a real, it is a way to sort of envision the future and then you build it into reality. Like there's something about that. And then I think the last thing is people are hungry. Today, they are hungry for an alternative positive vision. It's not enough to just sort of say no to what the left does. We've been doing that for a long time and it's not enough to inspire people. They want something different. The left is offering something unappealing. Right. And I think we we have something better. And so venture is a way to sort of envision that and sell people on it. So that brought me to this. So even as a young kid, did you know as a kid you wanted to go into business? I knew I was drawn. It's a good question. I was drawn to business. I had a grandfather who was an investment banker. My parents, not at all. They were not business. They weren't into business. They weren't into politics particularly. But I, I was just drawn to it. I was drawn to technology. And I think it was an element of business, but it was an element of appreciating the power of technology to change the world as well. As I like stories about Bill Gates and people like that, which is there's the business element, but there's also the kind of the element of, of impact there. And so those two threads were always side by side. So does it come natural for you? Aspects do. Uh, I, my mind goes to what is the opportunity here? My mind goes, I, I see a problem and my mind will go to be, okay, what is, what is, what is a business that could solve this problem? A lot of people think of the policy solution or whatever. My yeah. thought is, what is the business that could help solve this problem here? Uh, there's other parts where I try to bring in good people around me. There's, there's people who are much better executives at running things than I am. Uh, but kind of envisioning the solution where other people might not see one is. So a lot of people, when they start businesses, they always, most of the time, I don't know about always, but most of the time they think they need a business partner or someone. They are afraid to step out and do it on their own, at least start by themselves and add on as they go. Did you have a problem with that? When you first started out, did you think you needed a business partner or someone to go along with you or you went out on your own? 100%. And I, I would say my my initial plan was to sort of work my way up in some investment company. I, I went to law school. I, I ended up partnering with a classmate for my first, for the real estate business, I partnered with a classmate, a guy named Peter Rex, who was, uh, on the one hand, he was probably one of the worst students at Harvard Law School. <laughs> Never went to class, almost kicked out multiple times, but he was always doing the stuff in business. And I was sort of intrigued by that. A lot of other people thought it was, it was just totally out of their their world. I was intrigued by it. I think that guy is, Pete is one of the best natural entrepreneurs of my generation. And I learned I learned from him that it's not about it's not about playing by the Harvard Business School rules and checking the boxes or yeah. doing what you're supposed to say. It's I learned from him the way you sort of go. You just make things happen. You you want to see something happen and you 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 put your mind to it. You figure it out. You you go make it happen. So I think I I learned from someone who was very good, and that helped me see a different approach than the kind of classic by the book approach to business. And right. I. 
I think a lot of people could benefit from that. But when you first started out, you were on your own. You went out alone. You didn't look for somebody to start out with. No, I, I did. I actually wasn't planning on going out on my own. And he approached me. Right. Uh, I had this vision. I was going to go work for some companies and work my way. And he approached me. And he he I think he valued how I would think about things independently. So I was independent in how I thought about things. Uh, nice. Then I have as clear of a vision of how to execute. And he approached me and we ended up working together for that was my first first significant business venture. And we ended up working together for uh, six, seven years. And did you guys get along? Quite well. I mean, we we liked, let's say we both liked arguing. Uh, we're both from the same area of New York. Uh, New Yorkers love to argue with each other. So uh, we, uh, we would enjoy the screaming matches about strategy. And uh, it's good to have a partner who uh, challenges you. But uh, definitely, he's, he's a, he was a guy who was very politically aligned, very values aligned. He's a very serious Catholic. I'm a very serious Christian, very serious Protestant. Uh, we, uh, we both got excited by the, the challenges we would pursue, and we yeah, enjoyed doing it together. I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to know, what is the purpose? Is there like a primary purpose of starting a business? What's the reason a person should go into business? So I think it depends on, look, the best reason to go into business, the best reason to start a business in many cases is to make a lot of money. Uh, or to, to make money in a way that is in keeping with your goals. Uh, for most people, for most people, that is going to be any sort of secondary thing, I think, is it, it, it's, it's sort of questionable whether that's going to be the best way of achieving it. Uh, but whether it's something very, very big, and you want to make a lot of money, or there's a lot of people who can build a business and they get it to the point where they really don't need to work that many hours. Right. and that's a, if you see a path there, if you understand, if you understand how to navigate markets, business can be a way to build real wealth, to build real uh, control over your career uh, in a way that uh, you're just not going to have if you're dependent on other people for a paycheck. So that's always a good reason. And I don't think people should be apologetic about that. A lot of people, a lot of people like to sort of downplay that if they want to talk about their passion. Uh, what I'm doing is a little different, and I think it's sort of I'm looking I'm actually looking at problems that one could go and solve politically, uh, but I see I see ways to achieve leverage uh, to achieve very, very large impact through business that I also believe are profitable. Uh, that's it's more complicated. It's really more complicated when you have more goals than just trying to make the most money. Right. Uh, I do believe there's a lot of money to be made in this space, uh, but it's certainly not the cleanest path uh, that I've chosen. Should, um, should and or could a person go into business with no money? Absolutely. I, I think there's different levels, right? There's, there's, you can start something on the side. There's ways to start a business on the side. Uh, I, I was just talking to people yesterday about this. We on the right are at a disadvantage. We don't have as many venture capital firms or whatever that are throwing money at us. Uh, what does that mean? It means it means we're going to have to learn how to build businesses that are leaner, be scrappier, figure out how to find a first customer who's going to pay up front before you jump in and quit the job and start it. Uh, those are good skills, and they're good skills 
to have when the venture money dries up more broadly, which it's uh, it's at risk of doing. Uh, I don't think you start a business for the sake of starting a business. I wouldn't just advise go quit your job and start a business if you don't have a very clear plan. But I think the sort of thing that makes people good at business often allows them to figure out how to put something together that's going to generate revenue from day one. Yeah. And if you don't have any money, that's uh, find a paying customer before you quit your job, before you start the thing and figure out a service you can deliver to them without a lot of capital up front. And should all men start businesses or just having your own business is only in certain people and, and other people are made to work for other people? I would say it, I, I I don't think I, I don't I wouldn't in any way say all people should start businesses. I think it, it depends on many factors. It depends on the skills you have. It depends on uh, a lot of people are going to be happier working for someone someone else. I think even if you work as an employee, there's ways to there's ways to treat your career a little bit more like a business, which I think I would recommend to almost everyone. I mean, understanding how you can sort of have that control. If you if you don't have a job, how would you go about getting one? How would you go about right. finding customers or whatever? That's a good skill set to have because even if you're working for someone, you have a degree of control that means you're not, you have options. You're not totally subject to them. Uh, so that I recommend. In terms of owning a business, I think for some people, it's clearly the right. To, I mean, the guy I worked with, my partner, could never work for anyone else in his life. I mean, temperamentally, that guy just did not did not have the personality not to be in total control of what he's doing. Uh, there's other people where I think they might happily work for someone else for 20 years and then find a uh, find an opportunity that makes sense. And it's like if their employer would take them up on it, they could have a great great career building that project inside. But uh, someone says no, and they go they go start a business, and it's kind of like they could have been happy going either way and they could have been successful either way. So it's really a case by case decision. A couple other things that I want to ask you some more questions here. Um, When I started my business, I had two businesses, my second one, and I've always had a job on the side and I, especially with my first company, I worked the company, but I had a primary job so that I can pay my bills and, buy the products I needed for the business until I didn't need it anymore. Is that how most people should do it? I would recommend that for most people. I was I was very fortunate in that I when I first started the first business, I had I had a job lined up at a law firm. And it was in the wake of the financial crisis, it was 2010, and a lot of firms actually deferred us. And law firms have this somewhat ridiculous culture where they're everyone's extremely risk averse. So they actually paid us money to not work for a year. Uh, and the way it worked, the way it is that sort of this law firm culture is if they just took away your offer, which is what most industries would do when the economy dries up, all these lawyers would be so scared of, they'd be so nervous and scared that the the firm would be blacklisted and no one would want to work there. So they actually, the whole industry just started paying people to go away for a year. And I, uh, so I literally had money to live on for a year. I was single at the time. It really lived for very little. Uh, and I had a job to go back into it in a year if things didn't work out. And you couldn't, and I had a business partner who had experience in this space. So you kind of couldn't ask for a better 
opportunity to take right. a risk and it's not really that bad for yeah. most people you know most people aren't aren't going to have that, that was a lot of there's a lot of luck that went into that too most people aren't going to have that combination uh certainly if you have a family certainly if you have people who depend on you i would probably do it that way and if you're young and single and have a little bit of money saved up and can live on thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever i it, it, it might make sense to to go in and take a little bit of a risk, but but for most people, I think the way you did it is the best approach. And did you ever have fear that, or do you have it, that your business won't make it? You know, that I'm not going to make it. Did you ever have to deal with that? There's a lot of anxiety in business. It is by nature. I think it's it's very very rare that day one you sort of immediately have smooth sailing. So. Yeah, there's there's ups and downs. There were ups and downs in the first year before we had sort of clarity that things were going to make it uh, of my first business. And there continue to be there continue to be sort of ups and downs on a weekly basis uh, in the current one. It's it's uh, there's there's a lot of exciting opportunities. There's a lot of challenges. And so are you like worried or afraid that it's not going to happen or? What what is the fear about? So I'll be I'll be fine right now. Uh, that's you know I'm not gonna. I, I I did very well in the real estate business, the first one. So I'll be all right, one way or the other. Uh, I do. I believe this is an incredibly important mission. I mean, what we do, just to give you the overview, of what I'm currently doing, I'm raising a venture fund. I'm raising other. I'm, I'm putting together other deals to invest in conservative companies. So we, for instance, we invested in a pro-life health insurance company. We invested in the, led the the first investment into the pro-life health insurance company. We're looking at another one that's in the ad, an ad network for the second amendment space. And for me, I think it's important for the country that companies like that uh, take off and grow. And I, I would, I, I would love to be in a position where we can provide a lot of resources to companies like that. Uh, I believe they're going to be very successful businesses. I believe they're going to do a lot for our movement in a world where big businesses are are so left wing in so many cases. Uh, so yes, I I absolutely uh, put a lot of effort in, and I I pray and I uh, I really uh, hope that we can uh, we can find the things that allow us to really do this at a a large scale uh, because to me that's. Uh, it's it's a huge opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity right now. And people are hungry for what we have to offer. And, and we're already seeing it. All these entrepreneurs really, really want to work with us. And I want to be able to uh, be that uh, valuable partner. So let me ask, and then I got to move on, but so much I want to know. It, in being in business, is enough ever enough? Is there any point where you know what? I made enough money. I'll just sail along if it continues fine, if not fine. Do you ever get to that point? Yes, I would say in some sense, in some sense, that was, in some sense, I've, I already got there. And and I don't know that I left, I, I could have continued in real estate and real estate had sort of a clear path. I mean, we just right. continue there. There's going to be more money very clear path to making more money, uh, tens of millions of dollars. I mean, pretty, probably a clear path to the hundreds of millions of dollars. And 
but at the same time, like it, it's not going to change your life that much beyond a certain right. number. It's pretty clear. It wasn't going to change my life. What I'm doing now, I believe, I believe it could make more, but it's a much harder and much riskier path. I mean, I think it could be more impactful and more successful, but it's, it's far, there's far more scenarios where it's not. And so in some sense, the decision to move into what I'm doing now was about uh, optimizing for more than just making more money. Uh, yeah. So I I'm curious ask- if you're still doing what you're doing right now. And I, I think it's I think it's probably a similar motivation to a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in your position where a lot of things you could keep doing. But why do you keep doing it? Right. I was going to ask when you're in business, should the focus be on making money or giving good services, meeting the needs in a good way or best way? So you want to know that there's a market for what you're offering. Uh, If people aren't willing to pay you for it, that can be a pretty good indication that uh, maybe they don't value it that highly. Classic, (laughs) classic economics. Uh, I think that you build a great business by you, you, you'll build a great business by offering really prioritizing something excellent that you're offering. And whether it's great service, great customer service, whether it's you're providing a product that's very cost effective, kind of whatever need you've identified, you're probably going to build a better business by sort of maniacally going to achieve that, even in a way that might seem that, that might seem to focus on something beyond beyond what's obvious from a, a dollars and cents standpoint. Uh, those tend to be the greatest businesses. You you build the biggest customer loyalty, the biggest moat right. over time. So I don't think those are intention. And should you have a five year plan? It depends. I uh, I have not uh, focused on five year plans. Me, I, I've never done that either. I think some people use them well. I mean, I think one one of the good pieces of advice I hear is write a plan, write out a business plan, write out a budget, and then throw it away. And the point is, there's value to the exercise of thinking through it. Uh, but things are going to change tomorrow, so it's not the, act, the 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 development of the plan was the the value, not the plan itself. I never understood how do you know what your needs would be or what you want in five years. Why not just deal with the need of the company right now? And every when the need comes, just take care of the need. Because how do you know what's going to happen in five years when it doesn't even exist? I'm with you on that. I would say my approach is I try to think about different scenarios. So it's less it's less like what's the most likely path, and it's more here's kind of three, four, five different directions that things go. Here's a range of possible directions. Here's some of the big trends we see. Uh, Real estate. We saw people moving to Florida and Texas. Kind of new. You own apartments there. Right. Probably going to do pretty well. Uh, Didn't really know exactly how well. Didn't know how quickly it was going to happen. Didn't know what interest rates would be. But you know your position to do well in in likely scenarios. And then build things that are going to be doing well in various scenarios. So it's kind of like, here's how we... Here's how we could survive if this happens. Here's how we could thrive if this happens, et cetera. Rather than sort of going all in on one that you really don't know. So, Nate, what does venture mean? 
define that for me? And when will a person know they need venture? So venture, venture broadly to me is new. It's new businesses and particularly new businesses that are aiming for a large, uh, for both rapid growth and large scale. So it's, it's something, uh, typically there's a new idea associated with it or a new concept. It's not just, it's not just building a business that's sort of the same as a lot of other businesses and you're just, you're launching in a new state or whatever. I, uh, so there's a, an element of newness and innovation to it. And typically there's an element of, uh, higher risk as a result. There's uncertainty. There's an element of experimentation, uh, in to many forms of venture. Uh, and often I think you're trying to solve that. You're trying to answer those questions before you invest the money, but it's it's uh, it's a new product. It's a different product. When you need, and and we do sort of two things. We'll both start companies, which you could call a venture studio, is the common term. We'll put together the founders. We'll put together the team. We'll try to bring things together. The other one is we raise a fund and we invest in them. So someone else is starting the company and we'll invest. Uh, let's call it. $400,000 for 5% of the company, right. uh, typical sort of venture, venture check investment. You need venture if you're, you need venture capital typically if you have a very, very ambitious company. I mean, if you're looking to make a few million dollars, have a company that makes a few million dollars a year, you don't typically take outside capital for that. I mean, that's a great business to own 100% of. Uh, it's not going to be a big enough business to uh, raise millions of dollars and return that money. Uh, you, it's typically if you have a, a very large, uh, ambition, you're, you're looking to sort of capture an entire category in a market or change the market, something like that. And so a venture capital person is, would be someone like you, that if someone needed more money for their company, they would go to Nate and say, Hey, Nate, I got these plans. And if you check it out, if it looks like it's work, you say, okay, I'll help you but I want 3% of something in the company. I'll give you the money, but I need to have part owner of the company or something like that. Yes. And we do that through a fund. So we raise a fund. Right. We in turn go to other investors. Right. We raise a fund, any accredited investor, which is an investor who has a sort of net worth over a million dollars or uh, income over uh, over a couple hundred thousand dollars. So the, so the SEC limits who can invest. We raise money. We raise it into a fund. And then our fund will invest in startups like the one I mentioned, like the pro-life health insurance company. And so you are a Christian. I am. And why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Because I believe uh, because I believe it is true. Uh, first and foremost, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a Calvinist. So I believe that uh, it means I was chosen by God. Uh, it wasn't just my choice. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my parents were always very serious about it. I was blessed to, uh, I was blessed to uh, benefit from that and really hear this message from a young age. And I, uh, I, I appreciated it. It always made sense to me. I mean, I thought through all the criticisms, the objections, but I <laughs> didn't find anything persuasive. And so, did you grow up? Who were you closest to growing up? Your father, or your mother? I was close to both. We had a. It was a great, very, uh, very 
close family. My mother homeschooled me, so I'm 38. So it was it was pretty early in the homeschool movement. Nice. So spent a lot of time with her, uh, a lot more than than most kids, uh, just because she was homeschooling, and so I uh, certainly uh, benefited from that. As a kid, were you okay with being homeschooled, or did you want to go to a public school? I definitely did not want to go to a public school. Uh, going back to my point about I, I like independent ideas. I like outside-the-box yeah. ideas. I, uh, I I don't think I would have – my sense is public school really is a very conformist environment in many cases. I I, I liked public – I liked homeschooling. I think in high school, there's sort of – there's pluses and minuses to it. Uh, there's there's things that a big high school can offer that you can't get homeschooling, but there remain benefits to the homeschooling. So, so when you be being homeschooled, uh, you became a teenager at some point, fifteen and older. How do you date? Because there are no girls in in homeschooling. I did not date at uh, I did not date as a high schooler. So oh. I uh, it wasn't until later that I started <laughs> dating. So there, as I said, there were. Uh, there were probably there's things you get in school that you uh, you aren't going to get. Now, I think it's a little different today. Uh, today, you tend to have a lot more homeschoolers. There's a lot of homeschool co-ops. Right. Different homeschoolers get together. Right. So I would say I, th- I think it would. Dip- we went to a small church. There's large churches. I, there's a lot of opportunities for homeschoolers to socialize. And so you say you are a cabinist? A Calvinist, a, a Reformed, uh, I'm Presbyterian. What does that mean, You that? So fundamentally, it's a, it, it's a branch of uh, Protestant Christianity that uh, we hold a very high view of God's sovereignty, and we ultimately believe that God chooses those who follow him. So you believe in him because he... Uh, because he chooses you and selects you and through his grace uh, helps you see and realize uh, the truth and, and choose to uh, choose to believe it. So it's uh, it, most of the original uh, Protestants were where this the people founded our country were were Calvinist. Uh, it's it's probably a minority position. There's other Protestants. There's there's obviously Cal- Catholics. There's also uh charismatics they're going to be in a different branch there's uh a lot of baptists have a different view so you believe that god told you to follow him yes and why will he do that his his grace his uh his his choice uh he he loves us uh he chooses uh chooses to have grace on us even though we do not deserve it even though uh even though i was sinful from the time i was born i was born with a sinful nature and obviously don't deserve it but i uh, he loves us and so have so in order to be born again do you still have that sinful nature yes we're not fully we are not perfect uh we're not perfected by accepting christ we we have the ability now we're no longer slaves to sin i have the ability to choose good i as a christian i believe there's there's an ability to know the truth in a way that is uh 
is not possible if you are not, uh, if you don't have the, the spirit. But uh, at this point as a human, until, uh, until, uh, until the resurrect, until we are uh, resurrected, uh, I think there's still the, the constant fight with sin. And so you still have the sinful nature. Do you sometimes choose good? Sometimes good. And sometimes hopefully, you choose... uh, hopefully more so over my life too. And do you choose the sinful nature sometimes? Fortunately, yes. And why, if you have a choice in that, why do you choose the sinful nature? Because I'm imperfect. Because uh, the uh, the flesh uh, the flesh remains strong as. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, as some put it, so I, uh, I think Paul says, uh, though I, though I want, want the good, I choose, uh, I choose evil <laughs> at times. And, and so why haven't you chosen the nature of God and let go of the nature of the devil? Well, so I think there's a, there's the, the ultimate choice. So the choice to accept Christ, the choice of the choice of Christianity is a choice it's, it is that choice that is uh, is puts you on a trajectory to uh, to heaven and to eternal life. Uh, but in this life, I think there continues to be there continues to be the uh, process of sanctification, the the battle uh, for sanctification, which is uh, which remains for a time. What does that? Sanctification mean the the process of so justification is are you right with God are you going to heaven sanctification is uh, the process of becoming more holy becoming sanctified uh, the pro- basically the process of becoming more righteous and more uh, more like God. Uh, so are you are you action. overcoming the nature of the devil and taking on the nature of God? That that would be the process of sanctification. So mm-hmm. I, my belief is that's never completed on this in this life. It's uh, it, it's something that you you begin that process when you are justified, when you accept Christ. Uh, but it it remains a process throughout our life to. Uh, but why to do, do you believe that when God said you could have paradise on earth, the kingdom of heaven within? And that you can have his nature right here on earth. You don't have to wait until you leave the earth. Kingdom of so heaven is at hand. Why do you believe you have to wait? So I believe that there's an element to which that is true. The spirit is the spirit is with us, and there are there are there are ways in which that is true. Uh but I think that you and, and this part of this is just looking at what I think what wise Christians have believed throughout church history is uh, there's obviously, there's obviously verses that suggest what you say. There's verses that suggest that it's a continual battle. uh, It's a continual battle. It's a continual fight uh, through the end. And, uh, and so I think that there's very real sense in which we are moving from death into life. As soon as we accept Christ, Uh, that is a, a verse in John, I believe, but there's also the, I think there's also the reality that even the the best Christians seem to struggle with sin. And so I don't believe that perfection is possible on earth. And what is sin? Disobeying God. What, what do you mean by that? 
well, God's God gives us his law and that law remains. Uh, I believe that law remains uh, even after Christ came. And so there's a very clear standard God has given us. Uh, it's, it's one that's articulated in the Bible. It's also one that I think accords. It's also one that humans can, although fallen humans tend not to recognize. So you, uh, say, you say disobeying God is a sin? Yes. And name me one law that you disobey, that you can disobey, and it's a sin. Well, one of the Ten Commandments, uh, you shall not covet. What does covet it's mean? Wanting something, uh, wanting something uh, that uh, you do not have, that someone <laughs> else has. And I, I think there's a constant temptation. I mean, that's one even though I would say I'm not driven by this sort of continual desire for more money, it's it's very, very easy to look at someone else who has something, they're more successful, they have they have something I want to achieve. And uh, I think I think it's one thing to sort of look at it and and see that as motivation to to do better. But I think there's a, a sinful covetousness where I really uh, dwell on that in the wrong way. And does God call it a sin? Yes. I mean, that's, that is one of the Ten Commandments. That's, so he called one of the Ten Commandments a sin? Well, I think all of the Ten Commandments, I mean, any of the, breaking any of the Ten Commandments would be a sin. But he never called it a sin. God never called it a sin? No. I mean, the Bible is repeat with, with uh, references to sin. No, it says that we should keep these commandments because they are rules to live by, but he never called it a sin. Well, so there's 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 ample references to sin in both the Old and New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus is clear that he has not abolished the commandments. Right. Uh, So they they remain. So I think that. There's not a there's many, many references to sin here. But there's no, there's. I don't know what you mean by what do you mean by reference to sin? Because well, the Bible called, talks about sin. The Bible references sin. The Bible references sinful actions, and it makes clear that uh, rejecting that, that disobeying God's law is sin. But he never said it. Though. The only sin that he mentioned is the sin of the heart. When he says salvation is of the heart, and and that's the only sin that he said. Everything else is commandments. Where you we don't overcome the heart sin. You cannot keep the commandments, but once you overcome that, then he gives you the power to keep the commandments. Well, and I think the point is in the Sermon on the Mount, I think he made clear that he made clear that the commandments uh, that they include the sins of the heart. So if you commit a sin of the heart, you're you are violating. I think the Westminster Confession, which is one of the Presbyterian documents, uh, makes clear uh, likewise the catechism and the confession make clear that the sin of the heart is included in the commandment. So if you, if you commit that uh, sin of the heart, that is a form of violating the commandment. If you want, if you, if you hate your brother, if you want his death, that's uh, that is murder. But I got, and so I, and so you what? So, yeah. So I, I see those as I, they're, they're part of the same. They're both forms of the same sin. I mean, so somebody just said it. So that's why you believe it. Because he only talks about the heart, the sin of the heart. 
is when you don't have his love, perfect love, and you can't love because you don't love him. And as a result, you're separated from him, and that's when you can't keep the commandments because you have no love. So I, I don't disagree with that. I think that would, that might be a different that might be a different way of looking at it than I, I articulate, but I don't think that's I don't think what you're saying disagrees with what I said. Do you have anger? Certainly. Anger is uh, probably the most common. Uh, it's probably the one I'm most common. I, I, let's say I spend time on Twitter. I spend too much time on Twitter. <laughs> and if you spend time on Twitter, you uh, probably have anger. So it's, it's anger of the devil or of God? I I believe it can be both. I, I think it's easy to be sinfully angry. Uh, it's not... It's it's easy to have a sort of bitterness. Uh, at the same time, I think that God calls us to righteous anger in many cases. And you read the Psalms, and the Psalms are full of uh, the Psalms are full of uh, accounts of righteous anger against against evil and against the wicked, against the schemes of Satan. So I I don't think anger is. I think it would be it would be wrong not to be angry when you see evil committed. So. You believe that anger is of the devil and of God, and so you serve two God. You serve anger. No, and no, God. it can be anger. There can be sinful anger, and there can be righteous anger. So anger is not inherently there. There's there's good. There's righteous anger, and there's uh, there's sinful anger. Uh, it's one or the other. It's not both. It's a love and anger. If you love the wrong thing, just like if you love the wrong thing, love of Love of the world, love of love of something evil is of of uh, Satan as well. So uh, you can have disordered loves, you can have disordered anger, and you can have uh, righteous love and righteous anger. And what is love? What is love? This is very uh, philosophical. Uh, love is uh, it's a very broad. There's there's forms of love. There's there's love that's an affection there's love that is uh a desire there's love that is a uh a wanting what is best uh for another uh care about someone or something amazing and so you're married i am married you have children four kids and a fifth on the way right on you make making white babies Making uh making as many babies as I can because we uh we need to uh we need to uh be building and creating while the other side is you married filling. to a white woman? I am. We need more white babies. Congratulate. Make a truckload of white babies. I am doing my best. <laughs> and does your wife obey you? Yes. What? I mean, you asked the question. Yes, she does. And when you say she obeys you, what does that mean to you? It means that she, uh, it means that she recognizes my leadership in the family and recognizes that I am the decision maker, uh, I am the I'm the ultimate leader. I'm the ultimate decision maker. 
subject to God. I'm subject to God. And, and ultimately, if I do something, uh, if I command something sinful, that would be uh, an exception. But uh, in the context of righteous decisions, I have authority in the family. And does she work? She homeschools. Uh, is she educated? She, yes, she has three degrees from Harvard. Whoa. So she's, I'm sorry to hear that, man. It's, it took her a few years. It took me some years to undo my one degree from Harvard and maybe her a few more years <laughs> to undo uh, three degrees. I say that men should not marry women who are educated because they don't make for good wives and good mothers. You know, I think, uh, so I met her, I met her at the law school Christian fellowship. I, 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 I think she, I think she, uh, she was clearly drawn to, uh, marriage and motherhood. It was clear that she, uh, she wanted that and she wanted, it was clear that she wanted a role from the beginning that was consistent with prioritizing those right on. Uh, as much as, uh, as much as I think our education system does distort, uh, so often distort the goals of women. Yeah. And how do you deal with the hell that comes out of her sometimes? You know, you wake up in the morning, or you go home from work, she's ticked about nothing. And you're like, hey, honey, hey, what do you want? Or you wake up in the morning with a nice smile, and she's all grouchy looking at you. What are you smiling about? What are you dreaming about? How do you deal with the hell when it comes out of her? I'm fortunate. I, I don't. I don't experience that very often. I think she. Uh, well, you know, I think it. I, I don't know if it gets gets quite to that level. I. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's more and less pleasant days, but I. Uh, yeah, I think you show grace and recognize that I'm. I'm not perfect either. We but we got we have to show grace to each other and. Uh, so when it, I, uh, when it comes out of her sometimes, more than is prudent. when it comes out of her sometimes, you show grace in that moment? Sometimes, and sometimes I probably uh, argue with her more than is prudent. Argue, <laughs> arguing with a woman is rarely, uh, is rarely productive. Right, because you argue with the devil. I mean, I think arguing, uh, I think there's, there's, there's arguing, there's productive arguments and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, there's un- there, there's arguments where that's not really the uh, solution called for in the moment. Do you agree with me that the God above is the man's God and the God below is the woman's God? No, I, I think God, the God above is the same. Uh, the God above is the, the God of, of all of us. Uh, and it, in fact, there's a relationship, there's a clear relationship where the church is called the bride of Christ in a way that in many ways is analogous to how, uh, how uh, a woman is the bride of, of her husband. And so I think there's a, uh, there's a parallel in many ways in these, these relationships that you, you should see in what godly leadership looks but, like. At different but you ways. are the church. Your body is the temple of God. Well, I'm part of the church certainly. And I, the the church being the body of believers. Uh, and why exactly. don't you agree that the the devil below is the woman's god? I well, I, I that 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 statement doesn't make sense to me. I I would have to hear what the. I think the god the god, god above is the god of all. He's the lord of the 
And or so wh- why do you think the hell come through the woman if the God below is not her God? I think hell can come through. Uh, hell can come through both men and women. You're it's, right, but uh, the hell that come through the man is the hell of the woman. It's been passed on to him by his mother, through his mother. I don't know that I, uh, I, I, I don't know that I would, uh, no, I think that I, I think it can come, I think in many ways, sin passes, sin passes through both. And you can see sinful patterns that pass through both as well. You can see, but it comes through the woman. sinful patterns that came from a father. You can see sinful patterns that came from a mother. But when you see it in the father that came through him to him, through his mother as well. But let me ask because of time now, um, yeah. do you believe that? When Eve listened to Satan and believed him that he became her God, I became her God is an interesting way of putting it. I I, I think there's a sense in which there's certainly a sense in which choosing Satan over God is is choosing to uh, choosing to make someone else your God. So I think there's a, there's a sense in which you could say that was true. So it may not have been a permanent irrevocable choice. And because Satan became her God, she no longer listened to her husband because at first she obeyed her husband. But when she listened to the devil, especially after he told her not to, the devil became her God. And so she could no longer listen to her husband. And because of that, she paid a price for it. And do you believe that the woman became the man's God when Adam listened to Eve? I think it depends on how you define God. Uh, in many ways, they were both choosing. They in many ways they were both choosing the promise of Satan. Uh, so in many ways, you could say they both chose Satan as uh, they both chose to submit to Satan rather well, than to God. When the man chose I, to submit to the woman, God said, because you listened to the woman, and because he said to the woman, because you listened to the serpent, you're going to have to be under him. And because you listened to the woman, you will suffer. He didn't say to the man, because you listened to the serpent. He told that to the woman. Am I right? I, yes. And I think that's an interesting, that is an interesting, I'll say I have not extensively considered uh, that, but I, I think there are interesting uh, there are interesting lessons from that. So yeah, I got to ask you this in in uh, <clears throat> talking about businesses. Why do Christian businesses struggle uh, to compete? So there's 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 various reasons. I think there are Christian. There are many 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 great businesses built by Christians. So right. yeah, first off, I think. It's it's not a universal rule. In many ways, the the West uh, was built uh, heavily by Christian uh, Christian entrepreneurs, and uh, so I don't think it's a universal rule. I think there's a lot of explicitly Christian businesses that struggle to compete. Uh, there's a few reasons. One is, in many ways, Christian communities have often become more isolated from the networks and and centers of success. So uh, money is printed in New York effectively. Uh, The closer you are to uh, the closer you are to the federal reserve, the easier it is to make money in an era when the fed is wantonly printing money and debasing the currency. 
uh, typically most uh, of the highly Christian communities, uh, most of the uh, disproportionate number of Christians are not close to the Federal Reserve. They're not beneficiaries of uh, one of the major drivers. I mean, you look at COVID and the the way that COVID restrictions shut down businesses, they disproportionately shut down the sorts of real world businesses that are run in flyover states, so to speak, in the more Christian states. While the the sorts of businesses that were run in New York, the uh, the banks and such were totally immune or, or benefited from uh, what was done. So you look at some situations, it's just, it's very clear that there's a, we are not run by a Christian regime and it is favoring other businesses. Yeah, but I think sense. a second one, and there's need to improvement. Christians too often are content to put out mediocre products. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, something labeled a Christian business, often the hope is people will buy from you because you're a Christian and yeah. they'll do it. And what I like, I'll give you an example of this pro-life health insurance company we invested in. I like it because it's not that. I like it because the founders are clearly experts in their industry who have a vision prey of a cost-effective product. Uh, they know the space very well. They know how to create something that's going to be one of the most effective, most competitive, most attractive products on the market, period. Plus, it has these values. And I just think that approach is not common enough in our space. And I think the last one is too often Christians have adopted a view where they don't build their business as a Christian business. So they've been told effectively, they've accepted a view where they don't recognize that we're at war with the world. Yeah. And they build a great business, the best Christian businessmen build a great business. And then they let HR in and they let all these other things in and effectively let their, they let their, their own business be captured by the left. So either you have those who sort of make an expressly Christian business and a lot of times a lot of times they're not focused on quality. They're not focused on excellence. Those who are focused on quality and excellence sort of the default is you accept what the best HR, be, HR best practices, let's say, well, HR best practices mean handing over your business to the left. So you have this real challenge where we need alternative doctrines of what it looks like to run a great Christian business. And there's some great examples out there. I mean, there's a guy who several people on my team work for him, ran a very, very, very Christian business. Business. Deeply Christian meetings began with prayer. A uh, lot of Christian culture in it. Uh, they grew a great software business and they sold it for I think four hundred million dollars. So there's great businesses out there, but uh, we need more examples for right. uh, for Christians. I noticed that <clears throat> when I think about this, a lot of Christians, not all of course, they start businesses with the idea of getting people saved, and yes, and they remind me of the black. Not all black, but the black star businesses with the idea of just catering to the black. Well, I think when you start a business, your service should be for anyone that wants it. And in that, you would do well in business if it's open to all. Am I wrong in that? So I, I, I would frame it a little differently, but I would say you, you note the problem well. The problem is often you have a motive. So if you, your goal is to get people saved, go back to the early conversation. You asked why people should start a business. My first answer was started to make money. Yeah. If you're not starting to make money, there's a lot of ways you can go wrong. Uh, if you're starting it to save people and you're sort of secondarily concerned with making money, well, you may not have a business. Uh, often you can build a great business by selling to a small niche of people. 
I don't think that's the problem. I think if they have distinct needs, so talking about selling to black people, black people have just, I mean, if you're building certain types of, I, I know a guy who built, uh, a good friend of mine built hair care products. Yeah. And particularly his hair care products were uh, were sold to black people who have distinct, dist- I mean, it's all the way to the chemicals are different often in what's right. used to make it. And he had a contract manufacturing business that specialized in that. Well, that's a distinct group you're selling to. There's nothing wrong with that. You actually have a, a great business if you build expertise. I think the same is often going to be true of Christians in many cases. Christians might be looking for distinct Christian entertainment, but do it well. Do it to a standard of excellence. Offer something that's the best product that they could buy. Uh, but I'm with you. I don't think Christians, I don't think everyone should stop at that. I think it's good to have people who have the ambition to go for the crown and go to win the category entirely. Uh, it's a lot harder in many cases, but I think that it's it's more about, are you trying to dominate a space? And if you have a niche market and you understand that niche market, maybe it's niche Christian homeschoolers who want to homeschool curriculum. Well, yeah. you might be able to build a great business that earns millions of dollars there, but you should own that category. And you should be offering by far the best product for those people, knowing exactly what they want. Uh, and that's that's going to be a great business. I agree. So you co-founded a real estate investment firm that grew to more than $1 billion in assets. Um, what was that like when you realized that had happened? So that was, that was it, it was wild, wild time of growth. So just to be clear, I, I joined and I started the company and I worked in it from 2011 to 2014 as a co as a founding partner running acquisitions. During that time, I probably bought about uh, $300 million worth of real estate. So it was uh, it was the early stage of the growth. And I continued to be involved, but I was, I was less day-to-day involved while it continued to grow. Uh, so I saw it in really, but in many ways, that sort of first growth from zero to $300 million is, that happened very quickly. It was, I mean, things were crazy. There were massive mistakes being made. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I I knew we wanted to expand to Jacksonville. We were in Tampa. We started in Tampa. I, I saw some deals up in Jacksonville. We went and we, I just wanted to move. I, I I knew that these opportunities were there. They wouldn't last. We had capital that needed to be deployed. We had great opportunities. We bought, I think, 800,000 units maybe uh, within over a, a month or two. And there were, you just could not check everything. I mean, there was a $500,000 mistake we made on replacing a roof. And it's kind of like yeah. that. Those kind of things would happen all the time. But I I knew that it was probably better to act when the time when the opportunity is right, even if we're going to have to make some mistakes, then like cross every T and dot every I and, you know, they just only do a few deals. So it's a great time to get into business when you know things are happening, when you know there's a big, when, right. you, when there's tailwinds, because you you are going to make the mistakes. And there's no better way to learn than learn in a market where you have that uh, you have that margin of error. You have the the tailwinds forgiving your mistakes. Uh, a lot of fun doing that, and uh, pretty crazy stories. Nate, let me ask because of time here, I got to wind this up. Um, have you lost a lot of money along the way too? We certainly, well, so I gave the $500,000 story and that's a little one, but there were, there were deals, there were deals where I don't know that I would say we lost 
partially because of how good the market was, but there were points where we were probably underwater several million dollars on deals we did. Uh, what I'm doing now, I mean, I've I've put millions of dollars into it. I've built I've built networks. I've built teams. I've built other things. Uh, but that's not cash yet. I mean, it's still right. it's I, I view it as an investment, and some of that investment is learning. But there's definitely been deals where I've lost uh, pretty significant amounts of money. And did you cry? No. <laughs> Amazing. So this I mean, is. I, I, first of all, I, it's, it's it, part of it is just I'm very focused on risk, and I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to take a risk. I'm not going to take a risk that would ruin me. Uh, I, I'll, I'll look. I'll go into something, and I'll, I'll know there's a range of outcomes. But I, that's also part of knowing how to. The more comfortable you are with understanding and managing the downside in something, and it goes to your point about having another job on the side. If you have another job on the side, you put a lot of time into something, it fails. Anyway, it sucks, but you're not ruined. Uh, yeah. That is, I think that's it's part of it. Part of it's just my mindset. I, for me, it's 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 something that I put my best into, and it. I've gotten very very fortunate in some things, and I've gotten uh, uh, less fortunate in others. What's important to you? What's important to me? Yes. My family, uh, my mission, my broader mission is to, uh, and I believe it's to fulfill that Genesis 1 dominion mandate, fill the earth and subdue it, uh, take dominion. uh, And I think that's achieved both through having kids, having a family. Uh, It's also achieved through success in business. And I would say for me now, it's a step beyond that, which is uh, specifically having success through uh, starting organizations. And it includes, I have a nonprofit, American Reformers focused on the Protestant church. And I have a for-profit starting organizations that can really transform things and can help have significant impact in what I believe are some of the biggest threats to our country today. So it's important that I pass on it's important that I pass on a civilization to my uh, to my children and really to uh, that of many others in our country. And so was your first child a boy or a girl? It was a boy. So I had a boy, girl, boy, girl. And a Amazing. Alpha male. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I love all my kids. Beta males make girls first, but you're an alpha male right on. It worked out. <laughs> So let me ask, um, you're a conservative Christian, right? Yes. And do you support the Great White Hope? What would how would you define the Great White Hope? Amazing. Amazing? Yes. No, I said what is what do you mean by the Great White Hope? Donald Trump, man. Oh yes, I <laughs> I uh look I, I have not I have focused on business rather than focusing on the political race, but I think that it's it is clear that it, it is Trump is so far ahead in this in this race that I don't think it's even close. I think Trump is uh, I think Trump has run a very good campaign. Yes, uh, I was look. I was open to others. I was I was interested in seeing the campaign that others would run. I. Uh, 
I uh, I think that's an important process to actually make people stronger. I had my criticisms of Trump coming out of the last time, and uh, you know, a fight to me, a a, a contest is uh, is going to be good for our movement to push people, and uh, yeah. it's clear it's clear where the momentum lies. So I'm, I'm not I, open to any others. Now, having Donald Trump is the only one that we need at this time. He's a gift from God. Everybody else is beta. And uh, I, uh, I believe that Donald Trump is a gift from God. And I think that here's an interesting point. Christians criticize that. They don't like how he behaved or whatever. I say uh, Samson is celebrated as a gift to save Israel. And Samson was uh, look if, if if Samson can be the savior of Israel, uh, people can uh, people can stop complaining about uh, who God uses. And if they don't like if they don't like things about Trump, then why are. Uh, why are they not stepping up and uh, That's helping right. me in this fight? I rest my case. I got to heat this thing up, this interview up. I got to put you on the hot seat. And I need, okay. you to, I need you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Okay. The hot seat. What is a man? A man is a, a, a biological male. Uh, but I uh, I have higher expectations. Biological male human, uh, but I have higher expectations and made in the image of God. Let's not forget that. Uh, and really called to uh, called to fulfill that vision, which uh, which means there's a lot of people who are adult adult uh, human males who uh, may not qualify as men. Does your wife obey you? We already said that one. Right, we already answered that one. Yes. Um, true or false? Abortion is worse than slavery. I uh, yes, I uh, I think that's clear. It's murder. Did you um, have you ever seen a ghost? I have not. Did you take the jab? I did not. Do you believe? Does racism exist? Yes. Is the earth flat or round? Approximately round. <laughs> Would you ever run for president? I uh, I don't think so. I uh, think I'm more of a business or an advisor. I could see advising someone in politics. Do you love white people? Yes. Do we need more white babies? We need more of a lot of babies. Do we need more white babies? Yes. Did um uh, did the bear does the bear shit in the woods? Yes. <laughs> Is it ever okay for a black man to love the Confederate flag? Of course. Have you ever told anyone how the cow ate the cabbage? I have not. Did you have fun? Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Nate, that was amazing. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Tell the folks how to get to your website, whatever you're doing out there. Tell them how to get to you. Active on Twitter, at Nate A. Fisher. And uh, our website is newfounding.com. You can go to our website. Uh, we have uh, we have a talent network. If you're founding a company, we have, uh, we have forms for that. If you're investing, we have a fund. Uh, so at new, so newfounding.com and my, uh, my Twitter at Nate A. Fisher. Amazing. 
Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I totally learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget, you can support The Father State at thefatherstate.tv slash donate. And also, we're on locals.com. So click the link in the description to support our work. And don't forget to like, follow, ring the bell, subscribe, telephone, telegraph, and tell a woman. I do appreciate it. Thank you again, Nate. And we'll talk again. Thank you. All right, buddy. Amazing.